1: All right, welcome on to this week's uh, Hollinger and Duncan. John actually picked the topic for this week. What are we going to talk about?
2: We're going to talk about the most underrated players in NBA history.
1: The most then- underrated players. Um, And a, a reminder before we get started with that, today we are brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code On, and you'll get $10 off your first order. Once again, that's the promo code locked on all one word for $10 off at built bar, which is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. So much, much like built bar, a number of players throughout NBA history have been underrated. Are there any specific categories that you look at to determine whether uh, someone is underrated or not? Well, there's, so this is highly subjective in
2: the sense that. We're basing it off what our evaluation is of what the player's pers- public perception is, right? So that th- that that's a hazy marker. No matter how exact our own evaluation might be, there's still this hazy thing we're compares- comparing it to. Yeah. Uh, I so- mean, I think like,
1: you know, all NBA teams, all-star teams, making the Hall of Fame, those are pretty good indicators of what the public perception is. Yeah,
2: yeah, I think so. People arguing you should have been on the dream team, stuff like that. <laughs>
1: Oh yeah exactly um so but if if, to me i think a few things that i looked at especially going back to earlier eras players who don't put up big traditional box score stats that definitely can lead to being underrated Mm -hmm. um these sort of rings above all else culture that just doesn't really consider the context of who a player had around him and there's actually two players uh, that I'm going to talk about where that really applied to. Mm -hmm. If you're good at defense, and that's one again where it remains even today underrated, but particularly back in the olden times. Um, if you're good at spacing and shooting, that's probably more the case in the last 30 years after the three point line really became utilized. That's one that I'd look at. Anything else that you can, uh, you can share there?
2: Yeah, if you played for Boston LA or New York, you're probably not going to be mentioned much on this podcast. I mean, it, inevitably it's the guys in the smaller markets that tend to get less attention. Maybe with one yeah. or two exceptions.
1: That's uh that's definitely true and uh but hey, let's not jump the gun here. O- Overrated is uh is probably going to be the next podcast. So Yeah. We'll we'll do our usual format here. We can kind of alternate between nominations mm-hmm. and Do you want to, at the end, we'll pick like each pick our top three most underrated players?
2: Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, one thing I want to add to this, um, we're talking about significant players here. We're, we're, we're not going to spend 20 minutes arguing back and forth about Amir Johnson, right? Like we're, we're, we're talking about high level players, guys who are the best couple players in their teams.
1: Yeah, that that seems to make sense to, to me. Although Amir Johnson probably wasn't.
2: Oh, he was underrated. <laughs> Just it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like.
1: Yeah. Let me tell you, Sagana Jop's contributions to the, <laughs> the twenty eleven maps really underrated. Uh, you know, for
2: a ten day guy, Mike Wilkes was. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, that would be the the most underrated ten day. Guy who never got another 10-day? Yeah. That's what what we're doing here?
2: The the niche (laughs) podcast, for sure.
1: Uh, Okay, give me uh, your first nominee here.
2: My first nominee, uh, the thing that that stands out to me uh, is actually before he even got to the NBA. This guy took Jacksonville to the NBA championship game, uh, NCAA championship game, in 1970. Jacksonville, the freaking Dolphins of the Sunbelt Conference. Uh, and then went on to the ABA, where he was kind of outside the radar a little bit because he was playing for the Kentucky Colonels for five years, where he had probably his best seasons. Uh, then went to the Chicago Bulls and San Antonio Spurs and uh, actually still was able to play for uh, a dozen years in the NBA after the ABA folded. Uh, I'm talking about Artis Gilmore. Uh, took an obnoxiously long time to put him in the Hall of Fame. Uh, even though he was, uh, really a, a great center, um, kind of played in that in between era, which I think hurt him in the NBA. The 70s kind of get swept under the rug a little bit in general. And, uh, but a really high percentage player, more a defensive player, right? Block shots, rebounds, big guy, wasn't, Super sexy, even in his prime, uh, but very effective. Led the NBA in field goal percentage four years in a row. Uh, made several all-star teams. I think he made, if you count the ABA ones, he made 11. And the ABA, by the time, uh, you know, 75, 76, those last couple of seasons, the ABA was good. So, um, and in fact, here's the other thing about Artis Gilmore you may not know. they There were two outstanding rookies in the ABA in 71-72. Artist Gilmore and Julia Serving. Uh, Gilmore was the one-to-one MVP.
1: Yeah, a lot of black ink on Gilmore's resume. Led it, his league in field goal shooting six times. And career, true shooting of 62%. He had years where he was up in the high 60s, even as high as 70. And he falls into these categories. Number one, he was in Kentucky in the ABA. Then number two... He's on Chicago teams that really just aren't doing much. He was a real defensive force, too, uh, at 7-2, like, outstanding defensive player when he was in position at the rim, which basically every center was at all times back in the Yeah, 70s.
2: exactly, exactly.
1: Um, you know, I think as much as we might say that uh, perimeter defense is less important than big man defense— Back in those days before the three point line really took off, big man defense was way more important than perimeter defense. Oh, at, absolutely. At yeah. So, it wasn't even close. Yeah. So because just so much of the action is around the rim. Um, and it's also a great defensive rebounder. Yeah. I, I think if he doesn't just get shunted to the bulls in 76, 77 and just in mean, Chicago was an absolute wasteland between the, their teams with Norm Van Leer and Jerry Sloan that, that made it to a seven-game loss in the West Finals in 1975 to Rick Barry's Warriors and Michael Jordan. I mean, the Bulls were one of the most irrelevant NBA markets during that period. Uh, Mm -hmm. Then things might have been a lot different.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, By the time he got to San Antonio, he was on the downside. So I think even then, they had some good teams there. um, But he just, you know, he wasn't quite the same. Even though he's still good, he wasn't maybe quite the same player.
1: Yeah, I mean, in the NBA, I don't think he ever even made a conference finals.
2: Which is crazy. Did any of those Spurs, did, was he there too late? Because the Spurs got there with, with Gervin, but I think he was too late for that.
1: Yeah, I think, I, I think he was. Yeah, he didn't get there until 82, 83. And I think they, they had some teams like, I think they had a seven gamer against the Bullets in 1978. Uh, the Bullets ended up winning that year in what was then the They were in the
2: Eastern yeah. Conference back in the day. <laughs> when they first got placed into the league. The Spurs being in the East and the Hawks once being in the West are the two craziest divisional alignment things I think in league annals.
1: Yeah, they actually they did lose in the West Finals in 1983 to the Lakers. That was the best team that he was ever on his first year in San Antonio. Okay. Um anything else you wanted to say on him?
2: Just the Jacksonville part is the thing that just kills me. <laughs> 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 took Jacksonville to the NCAA championship game. First of all, how did he even end up there? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. you got this 7-2 guy, like, really, you know, Kentucky and North Carolina kind of missed, missed the boat on that one, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it would seem so. All right, here's my first one. Okay, And this player really only had about a three-season peak before injuries took him. And then he also became much more famous later on for negative reasons that I think obscured the type of player that he was, but for three seasons, Gilbert Arenas was a, a top 10 player oh, in, in the man. NBA and really a game that was ahead of his time. Probably someone that yes. we should have even brought up in our guys who would have been even better today. Gilbert Arenas. Oh, had, he was, he was all three pointers and getting to the rim. Yeah. He, he was almost like that era's version of James Hart. Um, mm-hmm. he's taken yeah. eight threes a game. I mean, and for comparison, I mean, that's a huge, huge number. He's hitting, not hitting a Steph Curry type of percentage, but most of these are deep off the dribble shots. He had ridiculous range. too. Like I, I remember this one three that he made bef- I think it was right before LeBron hit a game winning layup in that 06 series against the Cavs, which was a, a, a great series uh, to go back mm-hmm. and watch, by the way, that was just like, you know, probably 30 feet behind the line. He just caught the ball in the inbounds and just pulled it from there. Uh, and then LeBron came back and hit a layup, uh, on the other end, but he yeah. was just uh, ahead of his time in terms of his shot distribution. The numbers at that point were also fantastic. They were basically uh, whenever he played during those three seasons. So 0405 to 0607. And then it's early April of 07 when Gerald Wallace falls into his knee as he's trying to box out another player. And he's never the same after that.
2: Yeah. That, that MCL really, uh, Really uh, messed him up. And, you know, um, but going back to his prime, because, I mean, obviously there was all the weird stuff with the gun thing in the locker room and everything. Um, But the best I've ever seen at getting a decent shot away just as the buzzer goes off. Oh, yeah. Like you'd sit there. He'd be fiddling with the ball, fiddling with the ball. And you're like, what are you doing? The clock's at three. You're going to run out of time. And every time he would have that thing off his fingertips at .7. No matter what he did, if he got all the way to the rim or if he pulled up or whatever, it was, it was unbelievable. One of the greatest, uh, second round draft picks ever as well.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, the fir- first pick in the second round, I believe. Uh, yeah. But, but, yep. D- some of th- and he has a rule named after him. <laughs> yeah, for, for us, Cap Dorks, it basically, uh, allows teams to match on guys who are restricted free agents with one or two years of experience uh, more easily. Like Golden State couldn't legally match the, the Wizards offer uh, at that time. Uh, but he- here are the numbers. They were an average of about 11 points per 100 possessions better on offense when he was on the floor in those three years that he was really good uh, 05 to mm-hmm. 07 and just to, in general they would collapse uh, whenever he was a uh, was off the floor and it just uh, like his ability to pull up from deep off the dribble with that kind of buy i mean to put it in perspective eight threes per game I and mean, that's what steph curry was shooting in like 12 13 13 14 then he bumps it up i think he actually might only been eight threes a game even in in his mvp year And then he bumps it up to like 11 in 2016, which is that crazy year. But like, and he wasn't hitting at Steph Curry type of percentages, but that is just way more threes than anybody is shooting off the dribble at that time.
2: Yeah. And I mean, he was, like you say, he was taking them all off the dribble too. It was just pick and roll, handle the ball. It was really like, it was the precursor to James Harden's game. It really was.
1: And he also got to the line a ton uh, during those times. He was really strong, really quick. Um, and so only, and he didn't make the 2006 Olympic team again, maybe due to some personality issues uh, or not the Olympic team, the, uh, the world championship team. Yeah. At that time. All right. Who's your next guy? Who's your next guy?
2: Uh, my next guy is my all time favorite player. Uh, did not come to the NBA until he was 25. Did not really have his first star season till he was 27. Was good enough to play effectively until he was 40 uh and was part of four championship teams. Uh And I still think he's perceived as like another role guy when actually he was a pretty much star, if not superstar level player the whole time. And that's Manu Ginobili.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. The, the biggest question I have is whether he's underrated, or, uh, but you, you think that he is.
2: I think he's grossly underrated. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in his prime, he was putting up per minute stats that were nearly as good as Kobe's. And I don't think anyone thought they were anywhere near the same level. Just in terms of their their perception, yeah, he only made two All Star teams. Yeah, actually, uh, third team All NBA twice and one Sixth Man Award.
1: Yeah, it was just a, I think just the minutes per game was the biggest reason why he was underrated. But he could certainly ramp that up in playoff situations, which was
2: yeah. You can make great. the argument that Popovich knew that he only had so much candle to burn with him, and so he kept he he opted for. You know, less is more basically. So you can make, you can make that argument.
1: Well, and not, not only in terms of minutes per game, but he only got over 75 games played like two or three times in his career. He had a lot of seasons where he he had some, you know, it wasn't necessarily extended absences, but especially later in his career where he's playing, you know, 60, 65 games a year, which again, I think was mostly by design for them.
2: Yeah, yeah. His final, his final full season, what you'd call would be at at age 33 in in 2011. Um, and again, it's unfortunate that he wasn't able to come to the league sooner, but he was also a little bit of a late bloomer, though. I mean, he was the 57th pick in the draft. Again, we talk about great second round picks. Sheesh. Um, and, uh, was still blossoming, uh, over in, in Italy before the, uh, before the Spurs brought him over.
1: Yeah. I think if I were doing, shooting guard rankings during his prime he probably wasn't getting enough shine at that point but behind kobe and Dwayne wade i don't know if you're calling tracy mcgrady a shooting guard during that time Yeah,
2: ray Ray allen would probably be the other one right yeah
1: yeah so he's probably you know your fourth or fifth best shooting guard in the league uh, a lot of these Mm -hmm. seasons which i don't know i i think my only quibble is that i think he uh, you know he's going to make the hall of fame he gets a lot of credit for his international uh, play as well both uh on the club level and with Argentina. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's tough because, yeah, I mean, I agree with you on a per play basis. He was awesome, but he just didn't necessarily provide that much value. You know, he averaged 25 minutes a game for his career.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I, I mean, I agree with you as far as like, yeah, he's, I don't think a lot of people would have been saying that he was, you know, an all-star level of player most of his career when he probably was. So I agree with you there. Um
2: Okay. Okay. All
1: right. Let me see here. Let's take a quick break and uh, I'll give you all my next one here. I've tried a number of protein bars in my life, and they try to dress them up in a number of ways. I'll put chocolate around the outside or they'll put some sugar in to make it taste a little bit better. But ultimately, they kind of taste like concrete. Built Bar is going to solve that for you. That is the best tasting protein bar ever. They've got 16 flavors, 8 chocolate and nut flavors, 8 chocolate and nut-free flavors. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate, so they are soft and easy to chew. These are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber Here's what they have on them. Their peanut butter brownie, for example, 20 grams of protein, 170 calories, three grams of sugar, three grams of net carbs. Their mint brownie, 15 grams of protein, 110 calories, four grams of sugar, five grams of net carbs. I find that eating as much protein as possible is a great way to keep my weight under control because it's more filling. So having those protein bars available when you're feeling hungry, maybe it's not quite mealtime yet. It's a great way to quell your hunger. If you work out, give your body some build. Building blocks to help build muscle boost your overall metabolism a huge fan of eating just more protein in general the way to get started with them is if you go to builtbar.com use the promo code locked on that's the name of this network locked on all one word and you get ten dollars off your first order so once again that's the promo code locked on to get ten dollars off at builtbar.com this player came up last week Mm -hmm. and I think people really forget about him as well because he, due to injuries, somewhat arenas like actually, okay, didn't have the longest uh, peak in the world. But when he did, he mm-hmm. was probably the second best point guard in basketball for about a five year period. That's Kevin Johnson.
2: Yes, yeah, yeah, just so explosive off the dribble. Um, probably one of the great first steps in NBA history. Just from a dead stop. Could beat a defender standing right in front of him with no pick, especially going right. And, and there just wasn't anything the guy could do about it. He was just a, just a blur. Um, just ex- exploding from a stop. Like we wasn't, so, wasn't so much like he was fast, but it wasn't like his full court speed that was, that really blew you away. It was just that ability to take off so quickly and blow by somebody and be at the rim before you, before you could even blink.
1: Yeah. And then he was a, a very explosive finisher. As well, I mean, some of these free throw rates uh, were ridiculous. I mean, in his prime, eight free throws per game, shooting eighty three percent from the line. And those Phoenix teams, I mean, it, it was him, Hornacek, Dan Marley. Before Barkley got there, they're winning yes. fifty five games. They make it. They upset Magic's Lakers in the ninety playoffs, and then end up leaving.
2: really should never should have lost to Portland either. That 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 should have been their year.
1: Um. Yeah, and you know, they had Tom Chambers on a couple of those teams, too. But I I think KJ was probably the best guy uh, on those teams uh, to me. And, you know, that's 23-24, probably his best years. And then Mm -hmm. by the first Barkley years, 92-93, it's 49 games. And then he never plays more than 67 games again. Only made three all-star teams, uh, amazingly enough. Mm -hmm. But uh, Mm -hmm. I, I think, I mean, I'm trying to think of who, you know, he definitely was better than Isaiah. At the at that time, I mean, like the stats just aren't even close. Um, yeah. To the point yeah, where you just, yeah. yeah, Isaiah has all these uh, other aspects to him, but uh, you you, it's like you you can't even begin to make the argument. Like true shooting is like ten percent worse. Yeah. At yeah, that time, exactly. Um and. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of who else, you know, maybe Tim Hardaway, Stockton and Peyton, right? Were the top two. Yeah. Peyton was, uh, didn't really come into his own until, you know, 93 or so. So Johnson was kind of on the downswing, but yeah. So maybe five years, a little, a little bit much, but four maybe a, uh, and he got traded there from Cleveland too. Imagine if he'd, he'd still been on Cleveland at that point, but they had
2: Mark Price, Kevin Johnson and Terrell Brandon at the same time, if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah. That's, uh, I think. Johnson might have been gone by the time they got Brandon. Yeah, Maybe
2: Johnson was gone by the time they got Brandon.
1: Yeah. But to have all, the, all three of those guys on the team pretty, pretty close to one another. Um, yeah. But yeah. So probably for, for maybe like, you know, 88 to 92, I think he's probably the second best point guard in basketball for, mm-hmm. for that period. Um, yeah. Uh, so the other thing standpoint at least.
2: Yeah. And I mean, he, he bounced back and made the all star team in 94. And even in 93, um, I believe it was 93. Um, That was the year he was guarding uh, Jordan in the finals. Yeah, he he
1: actually did a pretty good job on Jordan. Yeah, when they switched
2: that matchup, that was really when Phoenix got back in the series.
1: Yeah, yeah, because Jordan was just blowing by Marley, and then he had to go more to the post-ups against Johnson. Um, All right, your next one.
2: My next one. Okay, this is an exception to my Boston-Laker-New York rule from earlier. (laughs) The reason this is an exception is because this guy didn't – joined the Celtics until he was already on the downslope. And so I think people's perception of him is be- is based more on those years and not on the earlier part of his career with Seattle and Phoenix when he was one of the best guards in the NBA and was one of the best players on a championship team. And that is Dennis Johnson. Uh elite defender, uh big factor in the Sonics winning their only championship. Uh multiple all-star teams in Phoenix uh this kind of gets forgotten again that late 70s early 80s era just kind of gets thrown under the rug a lot and then went to the celtics and was their you know number four option more of a defensive player there but was still good and good for several years was able to play a prominent role until age 35 um he's in the hall of fame but i I just don't think people remember him as the player he was at his peak they remember this kind of plotting defensive guy for the celtics right
1: yeah i i don't know i mean i think like he's a four-time all-star who's in the hall of fame so i i mean yeah maybe, maybe it's you're saying just the the perception of what his game was isn't isn't accurate he's underrated in yeah. that way.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean he's a yeah, he, he made five all-star teams not four. I mean, he's a, a final he was a finals MVP, but he asked people they be like, I don't remember him winning finals MVP with the Celtics. Well, that's cuz that's cuz he won it with the Sonics.
1: Um Yeah. Well, it's also know, worth noting too about him is Boston gets swept out of the 1983 playoffs, not by that awesome Sixers team, by the but Bucks in the second round, by the Bucks. Uh, yeah. and then, uh, the Sixers take care of the box in, the, mm-hmm. in short order in, in the East finals, but Boston picks him up in 83, 84, and then they're right back in. And now they're helped by the fact that Philly just wasn't the same team the next year, but they're yeah. like, it looked like maybe this is going to be it for a while for Boston. You get swept in the second round in 83 and you bring in Dennis Johnson and things change a lot. Obviously McHale, I think him, him, uh, beginning to more emphasized as well was a big part of, of why they took another lead yeah board. sure and bird bird got better even uh, as well um
2: but yeah, yeah that was one of the most yeah that was one of the more shocking there were some shocking series in the 80s actually the lakers lost in the first round to the uh to the rockets yeah in, in three with with moses that they switched it to best of five after that because the league was so pissed that they lost the uh They lost the
1: Lakers after, after just a couple games. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that was the right move, I would say. Um, yeah. So I thought you were actually going to talk about Zona and we don't need to get into it too much because I talked about him a lot last week is, uh, Kevin Garnett. When you're like, Oh, he just came to the Celtics late in Mm -hmm. his career. People remember him for that way, but all of the elements are here. When you look at the terrible supporting cast that he had, I think he had maybe one all-star and one close to all-star season around him in his, the entirety of his time in Minnesota. He all, you know, he wasn't an unbelievable scorer, but he was just fantastic at every other aspect of the game. He probably has the best plus minus footprint of anyone this century. Yeah. He and LeBron are really the two. That- yeah. And, you know, when you look at that, cause we do have access to the play by play stuff at mm-hmm. that time. I mean, to me, I think, uh, where would you think that most people would rate Kevin Garnett all time? Just in turn, you know,
2: I don't think they have him in the top 10. I mean, I, so Kevin Garnett was actually a name I had pulled up too. And I thought so strongly of him with Minnesota that I completely forgot that he played for the Celtics too, <laughs> um, which is crazy because that's where he won his championship, obviously. Um, and arguably could have won the MVP that season. Uh, because he didn't have the best stats, but his impact on that team was so profound. Uh, and there, and it wasn't a great year for like M- MVP candidates. There wasn't like an overwhelming guy like Giannis this year. Uh, but I digress. Um, Garnett is interesting to me. I think he's definitely underrated from this perspective. So there are three guys going into the Hall of Fame this year. Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett. I think if you ask ke- casual fans, they would rank them one Kobe, two Duncan, three Garnett. And I think. The, probably the proper rating might be the opposite. I, I think Garnett was, was the best of the three.
1: Yeah. I think it's splitting hairs between him and Duncan. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I would probably have to go to with Duncan because we know that he did it in the playoffs as many times as he did. Whereas KG, I think you can say if he got there, he probably would have been that good, but we just don't know for sure. So uh, I ultimately would probably have to go with Duncan, but yeah, I think it is, it is close. And, uh, you know, I would say Kobe would probably be the third uh, of those three for me as well. Uh, although I think they're clearly all, all of those guys are probably top 15. Players all the time but I think most people might yes. think of Garnett is more of like a top 25 guy all the time and I think that Yeah,
2: I think I I think so. I think they don't realize how good he was in Minnesota cuz it wasn't really a national thing. Um he was ridiculous in his MVP year obviously, but then uh Sam Cassell gets injured. They're playing guards who were like marginally better than you and me in the conference finals against the Lakers and and they ended up losing.
1: All right, who's your next one?
2: Okay. Cuz that that okay. So G- Garnett counts, Garnett counts as your guy. All
1: right. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, dude. I brought him up first. <laughs>
2: I'm going to have to rep the locals here. Uh, guy whose career just gets completely forgotten. Uh, even though he's a really good player, uh, and that is Lou Hudson of the Atlanta Hawks, uh, big time scorer, made six all star teams in the late sixties and early seventies. And like, there's like, y- Like, you can find, like, no evidence that this guy existed other than basketball reference. Like, he's just not in the zeitgeist at all.
1: What what was his game like? Because I I don't really know it that well. I was actually reading a Sports Illustrated preview of the 1968 season, and I saw him with the Hawks. I was like, yeah, that guy was pretty good, right? But I I can't say I've ever even seen a single piece of grainy film on him.
2: Yeah, I mean, he was a shooter. And, uh, you know, obviously, which wasn't quite as valued then, but that, that, that was his best skill. I mean, he was a scorer who was also, who's scorer slash shooter. Right. So, you know, there's no three point line then. So guys are shooting closer to the basket and it's more stuff going to the rim, but guys, I mean, guys with jump shots were still, were still weapons. Um, so that, I mean, that was, that was the thing he did, but, uh, you know, he was still able to, uh, you know, imp- impact the game and a lot of, a lot of, <laughs> different different ways for a guy who was you like you know who was mainly out there to shoot and score i don't know it, it you just look and like you know he was he was uh kind of washed by the time i really started watching basketball but his you, you just look at the career he had and it's like he, he doesn't even exist in in the like if you ask people to rank the top 100 players his name would never come up
1: yeah, well, I'm going to take your word for this one because I, I really, am not, I, I, I mean, you, I'm proving. Your I mean, point the only, right now, the only
2: right film way. of those Hawks teams, ironically, is, is of Maravich.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: oh, he did, he did lead the Hawks to the Western Conference Finals. How about that?
1: <laughs> yeah. The NBA had some interesting notions of geography. <laughs> I mean, I guess because say they moved from St. Louis. So that's why there's. That, yeah, they yeah.
2: probably just didn't, didn't bother. It was like having the St. Louis Cardinals in the, in the NFC or the, I'm sorry, the Phoenix Cardinals in the NFC East, cause that's where they had always been.
1: Okay. Let's, uh, quick break here. I'll, they were actually the one oh, yeah. seed
2: in the West that year. I didn't
1: know that. What year was that? Uh, 69-70. Huh. But they lost the, uh, uh, the Lakers made it to the finals so that they could, yeah. so they could lose to, to Willis Reed. All right. Mm-hmm. Let's take, take another quick break here and then we'll, uh, I'll get to my next pick. So I've told you all about Theragun before. John likes using his because he he stands up at his desk all day. Legs can get a little bit sore. If you're getting into bed, you've got a little bit of tightness. It's a great way to relax a little bit. I love it, though, even more for after my workouts. I'm probably using it between 5 and 10 minutes a day, every day. Um, I just turned 40. I got a lot of aches and pains. I do full body weight workouts uh, over the course of a week. And there are just all these areas of my body that I just had learned to live with having soreness there or not being able to work out as hard as I wanted to or do as much weight as I wanted to because I just uh, had soreness or it felt like I was going to pull something. And now with their gun, I've been using it on my traps, my delts, my vastus medialis uh, on that medial side of the knee. And it really, really helps to just restore my range of motion pain free in a lot of areas, like my shoulders in particular. I, I can just move them much more freely now i've been attacking my weight workouts the way i used to when i was younger again it really is an awesome piece of machinery i couldn't recommend it more highly so feel better naturally treat your pain get back to your life you can try theragun risk-free for 30 days or get your money back by going to theragun.com slash per easy remember slash per since we talk about all the time here on the program that's theragun.com slash per and for a limited time you can get a free charging stand with purchase which a seven 70- dollar value that's theragun.com slash per this is another player i picked the uh what the one guy in the top 15 who basically had most of his prime on just an awful team that never did anything and this guy basically was in the same circumstance if you go back and look at the rosters of the houston rockets in the late 1980s and early 1990s huh. and Akeem Olajuwon had almost nothing around him they had no shooting they didn't have many other defensive players but he still was spearheading some fantastic defenses and while he wasn't the absolute most efficient guy and he took a lot of bad shots he was kind of like the Jordan of the center position yeah Um, uh, although Jordan ended up becoming even more efficient than Akeem but he also There was no way to stop him when he was on other than just straight up hard double teaming. And even then sometimes it it wasn't enough. So his playoff scoring, he's one of the few guys who actually has gotten better in the playoffs uh, over the years. Even when they're losing in the first round because they don't really have anything around him at at all. And then when they finally got some decent players around him, uh, things really took off for them. Even though he wasn't even necessarily at least defensively in his prime anymore in 94 and 95. So, I mean, I think Akeem, where would you say most people would rank Akeem?
2: I think they have him very much in the second group. Like those three guys we talked about before, I think people definitely have Akeem behind all of them. And, you know, is he a guy who's around 20? Like, I I think that's where people think of him. Like, he's with like, he's like with Moses.
1: Yeah, I think he was uh, clearly better uh, than Moses. And those two championships get devalued because Jordan wasn't around for the first one and then uh, was not himself uh, for the second one in 95 but it's still not like he had a second superstar Drexler wasn't even at that level in in no he was he
2: was he was not anymore no
1: so I mean he was a solid player like an okay second scorer, but he was maybe like a lower lower end all-star by that point in time and that was only on the second team so
2: the first one, it was like, who was even their second best player? Like Otis Thorpe, Vernon Maxwell. Like, it, I mean, they were deep, yeah. but like, they, they did not Sam have Cassell, high end talent.
1: Kenny Smith. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think most people think of Akeem as, you know, again, in that 20 to 25 range, or as I think of him as like top 15, clearly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, a, yeah. and having a, a decent argument for the top 10, even just be, because again, he, he is his fantastic defense. I mean, he's one of probably, the five best defensive players since 1988. I think people don't quite realize that about him because you just think of him as you know cooking David Robinson in the post in 1995, and you just don't see the defense that he brought.
2: And he, because he, he, so the the story is for those who don't know, he started he started playing soccer and he was a goalie, and uh, then he realized he was huge and maybe should try basketball. Um, and you know this is when he's grown up in nigeria too when you know basketball wasn't as big a thing he had this nimbleness in his feet that would have allowed him to play in today's game in a way a lot of these other bigs that we're talking about could not and i I'd, I'd be really interested to see what he could do defensively in the modern day
1: yeah that that was, would be fascinating
2: cuz he was actually a little undersized even for a five i mean he was, he was 6'10" right he wasn't a 7-footer like some of these other guys
1: yeah i mean he but he had just Great length and explosiveness. Um, yeah. a, a lot of like quick pop, especially defensively. All right. Your next submission.
2: All right. My next submission. Well, this is, this is an easy one because he was the cover boy on the first issue of, I'm sorry, on the first edition of Pro Basketball Prospectus. Uh, he was a Cleveland Cavalier then. He went on to play for every other NBA franchise, um, or almost all of them. Uh, never really in a prominent, on a prominent team, uh, never played in playoff games, but I don't think he ever played in the conference finals, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and that is Andre Miller.
1: Yeah. Miller, uh, of course was on, on that, uh, 98 team Utah that made it to the, the final game. And exactly plays three years in Cleveland and was really underrated leads the league and assists. goes to the Clippers for one year and probably had
2: the worst year of his career there. <laughs> It was was terrible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Everyone thought with that trade that he was, that the Clippers were going to really take off with some of the young talent they had. And it just, it it didn't happen for them Uh, with him and Elton brand on the same team. You thought it was going to be really good. Um, Yeah. I, I've always been lower on him actually. uh, Okay. Because just the, the inability to shoot and he -hmm. also wasn't really like a dominant pick and roll point guard. And so there's this idea of like, everything kind of had to run through him but was he really pushing you to a crazy high level when he had the ball and then when he was off the ball he couldn't really do anything mm-hmm. so i i was that that's why i i mean now you were watching more closely during his prime so are those criticisms inaccurate
2: um they're, they're not. And I think that keeps him out of the, I mean, certainly that keeps him out of the pantheon, right? Yeah. That's why he never played in an all-star game. He is, I mean, he's Mike Conley's probably main competition for best player to never play in an all-star game. And, um, so there, there's certainly that element to it. Um, but there was so much, I guess, to appreciate about his game and his IQ. He was probably the best post-up guard or, or close to it of the last two decades. Had all this footwork, the up, up and under shot fakes. He just had so much stuff he could go to that even though like he was never like in great shape or anything, but he just, he just knew how to play. So he, he was able to play until he was 39, even though you, you looked at him, you're like, how's this fat guy who can't shoot going to stay in the NBA that long? And he was just so crafty, really good rebounder. Um, was actually pretty. Active defensively, even though he wasn't a super athlete, um, was was still able to be be a pest. Just again, just from his his IQ and his teams. His teams never got to the uh, to the mountaintop or close to it, but they they did win. You know, they it would always be like, oh hey, that's you know that team's a little better than I thought. <laughs> you know, uh, when 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 he was involved, it just it was always these forty something win teams. Um, so one of I, the
1: greatest I, LU passers of all time, maybe the greatest LU passer of all time. It's a good
2: point. Yeah, I think certainly he was better in transition than in the half court.
1: Yeah, it was interesting. I, I mean that that age twenty five season included. I mean, I remember reading uh the pro basketball prospectus uh, at that time, and he had just averaged like eleven assists that year, and he never averaged yeah. more than nine any other year. Yeah, so that year did <laughs> seem like a little bit of an outlier.
2: It ultimately. it was. I mean, I I can tell you because I actually watched a lot of that Cleveland team that year, and I was probably the only person who did. Um, an inordinate number of pin down assists. Yeah. Um, for it was like Wesley Johnson, Jermaine Jones. Like they had a what, lot. Wesley, I'm trying to remember all Wesley the guys. Person? Are you we- Wesley Person? Wesley Person? I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. They had a lot of jump shooters on that team. Yeah. Yeah. You're so not getting that many assists by assist throwing Wesley
1: Johnson, uh, <laughs> <up, and> <laughs>
2: you have to be a real volume assist hunter to get it that way, huh?
1: Yeah. That's, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I thought he was going to really take off. I mean, that was his age 25 season. And then I don't know whether things just changed for him going to the Clippers. Then he has three years in Denver. After that, I think was he in the Iverson trade? No, I think he, he played with us. It was,
2: Iver- it, was it was Iverson for Chauncey Billups, I thought.
1: Oh no, 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 I'm talking about the the trade that got Iverson to Denver. Oh, Philly. I think he uh, might have been actually.
2: He might have been. He might have been. Yeah, and then like he was good in Philly, but they didn't have they didn't have a whole lot else there.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I think he got traded at the start of the 0607 season. He gets traded for Iverson. I remembered Iverson as being in Denver for longer than he was, but it looks like it was only really two years, two full years. Um, all right. My next one, Mark Eaton, who came up Ooh. a couple of times as, as with, uh, isolation ball and how you didn't have to guard him on offense, but the Utah Jazz in the late eighties were really more of a defensive team and Eaton was, he was terrible offensively. I mean, I, I don't know if he even. I mean, think of him as kind of like a Roy Hibbert of his day, but maybe even less yeah. offensive ability. Uh, but the guy was seven four and you just like couldn't score over him at the rim. And when he gets a little older and retires, they morph into being one of the best offensive teams as they go with centers that uh, either had a little bit more stretch to him off the bench. Um, uh, or uh, Ostertag would play some minutes. He could at least offensive rebound and dunk. And and Eaton, you know, was not great at those things. And they did a lot of just like parking him out at the three point line because you had to guard him back in those days. Yeah, yeah, that but, was fun. I mean, if you look at those rosters, like he was their defense. Like there is no reason for them to be a great defensive team other than him and their, you know, a top five defense every year in the late eighties.
2: Crazy career, actually. Didn't his rookie year? He was twenty six.
1: Yeah, like him, Rodman. I mean, they are like. There are guys who would just like come into the league at twenty five and like make an impact immediately. Back then,
2: yeah, which it, like that's like completely inconceivable now. Uh, two two time Defensive Player of the Year, obviously um, made All Defense five straight years in his in his best years. Yeah, I mean he was he was the guy. I mean he would probably had more standing blocks than any player. <laughs> Uh, you know what I mean yeah, where he him, would just stand at the Manute. rim with verticality and the guy would just shoot the ball into his hands without him jumping it was it was insane how many of those he would get
1: yeah it, it, him and Manute Bull are probably the uh the all-time leaders in that Tim Tim Duncan had a bunch of those too actually Duncan
2: so. Duncan had a lot of those yeah although some of those he would like tiptoe jump yeah whereas Eaton Eaton was genuinely just standing there um, but like, I mean, 9% block rate his rookie year. Like that's, that's ridiculous, right?
1: Yeah. And it wasn't just blocks that it, and that was it. like it showed up in the team defensive numbers as well.
2: Well, yeah, he wasn't taking himself out of the play going for blocks. He couldn't get because he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a leaper anyway, so he wasn't going to be doing that.
1: <laughs> uh, okay. Who's your next one?
2: My next one. All right. So I don't know, maybe this is too captain obvious, but like, what about
1: Shaquille O'Neal? Yeah. Like, I, I, we, we talked, we talked about him when we did our, uh, our greatest seasons ever.
2: Yeah. I, I, I just feel like those three years have morphed into like Kobe's championships somehow. And like, that's, that's, that's not how it was at all. I, he, he impacted the game as a big more than any other big at the offensive end. It's not even close in, ter- in terms of how he, how he forced, um, the whole defense to sag in or the, the, rapidity which he would put fouls on guys and force them to play their second and third bigs the whole game i mean one of the big reasons people don't forget that game six against sacramento Shaq fouled out vlade and scott pollard and they were forced to play lauren and did he foul out weber too i can't remember
1: well weber they were playing was, L- was in trouble but he, he was he had to guard him it didn't go too well
2: yeah they were playing lawrence funderberg at center you know, in the fourth quarter of that game, because they just didn't—they didn't have anyone else. They had uh, Shaq fouled him out, and uh, they, and that wasn't an uncommon thing.
1: He, he's the the best offensive big man of all time. Certainly a pri- prime Shaq. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's pretty like th- that amount of volume and efficiency, and you know, was a decent creator uh, as well. Even, uh, yeah. really, really fantastic uh, offense.
2: Yeah, got the, got the between Orlando and El- in L.A., the thing that changed is he got the hangout of passing out of those double teams. And by the time he was in L.A., and especially in Miami, he was much better at it.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think most people would, again, have Shaq kind of in the, you know, maybe 15 range, and I, I might have him top 10.
2: Yeah, definitely. De- I mean, definitely top 10 for me, with, without a doubt.
1: Here's another one for you. Okay. Only made, famously, one conference finals in his career and was not able to finish that series. But... Chris Paul is either, has an argument for the second greatest point guard of all time. I don't see any way that you could rank him lower than fourth. And that's only if you count Oscar Robertson as a point guard. Um, I think you could say, I might have Steph Curry higher than Chris Paul. Mm -hmm. But Paul has a lot more longevity than Curry. Curry clearly has the higher peak to me. But Chris Paul, I mean, he's between the second and fourth best point guard of all time. I, I mean, I think that's like, would you, do you have any push back on that or you think that's correct
2: i don't think so i mean so if you say oscars won then chris paul is competing with curry and stockton right yeah. Is there, is there anyone is there or, am i forgetting or, I mean, somebody some people- oh i'm sorry there's matt magic i'm sorry Yeah, magic is I'm number sorry. one yeah
1: yeah yeah um magic might even be underrated too by the way <laughs> i mean i i think he to me he might be like actually a top five all-time player but and I think some people have him more than like the 10, but um, yeah, I, I mean, Chris Paul just, he never, he had that one ridiculous season in 2008. That was probably his best season ever from a statistical standpoint at over a 30 PR as like a six foot guard. It was just something that nobody had ever even come close to doing before. Yeah. Um, yeah. And maybe the thought of his career is different if, if they end up winning that game seven against San Antonio in the second round that year, 56 win team with, you know, really not a ton else around him that year in 08. And those Clippers teams all were really good, even though they had some pretty severe flaws on their roster. What, what happened to them in 2013? Uh, Blake Griffin sprained his ankle and they lost to an inferior team. Is that where you're going? <laughs> oh,
2: it's getting cold in here. <laughs>
1: um yeah no that i mean that that was actually i mean that's one of the great what ifs though right i mean you guys make the the west finals that year Mm -hmm. clippers beat you they easily make the west finals that year instead and maybe the perception of them is different but yeah i mean that that series correct me if i'm wrong here clippers win the first two
2: won the first two chris paul made a shot at the buzzer uh one-on-one against tony allen to win game two uh we came out games three and four we smoked them um and then game five yeah it was like right before tip-off we started hearing stuff that Blake had hurt his ankle he played but he didn't play particularly well um I'm trying to remember that game I feel like Mark played really well that game but I can't can't remember uh all the details but yeah we got that game and then they were I mean it was weird like game six they were they were just they they were spent like they it was like like Vinny, I think, knew he wasn't coming back. And like, it was just, it was a weird attitude that changed in that sixth game. Like, I felt like they never had a chance in that sixth game.
1: Oh, yeah. Y'all killed it. I think, like, did Blake, like, get ejected, like, down 20 in the fourth quarter? I want to say. Uh, Zebo
2: uh, Z- and Blake, I think both did. Yeah. Yeah. Is it Zebo? Zebo and Blake did not think highly
1: of each other. Yeah. Game five, y'all beat them uh, by 10 on the road. Chris Paul had thirty five of the Clippers ninety three points in that game. Wow. Wow.
2: <laughs> so, I mean, there's a bigger what if with him though, obviously, if he doesn't hurt his hamstring in uh twenty eighteen, right?
1: Yeah. I mean I I I still think Golden State could have beaten him anyway, but I mean they they it, could it, have yeah. and
2: they might have, but it's certainly a what if.
1: Yeah, no, for sure it is.
2: And yeah, because the play the playoff stuff I think does Hurt his perception. I mean, yeah. that series it against Oklahoma though. City, especially
1: he's, if you actually look at like what his stats are in the playoffs, like they're awesome. I and mean, he had huge, huge moments. Like the, I mean, that game seven on one leg in 2015 against the Spurs is one of the great playoff games of all time.
2: Yep. Hit the shot over Tim Duncan at the end. Yep.
1: So yeah, this is one where it, I mean, maybe you can say that he's been. Around for some collapses and, and that he deserves the, uh, the blame for that to some degree, like 2014 that screw up in, uh, I think it was game five where they, they should have won. They were up eight with like three minutes to go. He turns it over <laughs> trying to get a three shot foul in the backcourt on an intentional yeah. foul situation. Um, they blow the lead, uh, in game six the next year against the Rockets. So uh, he definitely emotionally might have been a little bit too much for some people. And you know, he wasn't, he wasn't like, the guy calming everyone down necessarily in these crisis situations, yeah. I don't think. Yeah.
2: But he was actually good too, that, um, people forget his first playoff series against the Spurs in 2008. I covered that whole series, yeah. uh, for ESPN and he was awesome, uh, that, that series too. He just didn't have enough, enough help and they, um, you know, they, they couldn't quite do it in the, in the seventh game, but that w- they could have gone to the conference finals right then too. That was one of, uh, th- that year, he had the highest playoff PER of anyone in the league. And then the year we beat them in 2013, he did as well. 29.2 PER for, for those six games.
1: Yeah. And for those who would say that Stockton was better than him, to compare Chris Paul's playoff stats to John Stockton and hey, get back to him.
2: Yeah. All right. And Stock, yeah. I mean, Stockton's biggest advantage in any of these discussions is longevity where Chris Paul, I think is good, may end up catching him on that.
1: Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I don't know. Stockton played effectively until he was forty. That's that's a lot to yeah. ask for. But, okay. okay, but he can get yeah. close. And and also, I mean, Chris Paul got started much earlier than Stockton did. It really wasn't until he was twenty five or twenty six that Stockton really was like playing at an all star level. Um. Okay. Give me. Uh, let's do like two more each year and then we'll we'll pick a top three.
2: All right. All right. I still feel like this guy doesn't get enough respect. Um. Won a championship. Finals MVP. Really won wherever he went in the second part of his career. Took a while to get going, but man, Chauncey Billups was, was a good player.
1: Hall of Famer in your mind?
2: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Seven straight all-star team. I mean, he, he personally went to the conference finals, I think seven years in a row, right? Yeah. Cause he made, he made six in Detroit and the, and that was really the turning point when they got him in Detroit. Um, after he'd been, here comes Terrell Brandon again. He was Terrell Brandon's backup in Minnesota. Uh, and then Terrell Brandon got hurt and he played well the second half of that year. And I have one of the great T-Wolves what ifs. Why didn't they re- just re-sign Chauncey Billups? Good God. They had Kevin Garnett there. Like what What happened there?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that there was a feeling that they like couldn't afford him at that time.
2: Well, the mid-level exception. I mean, sheesh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I didn't say it was a correct feeling.
2: <laughs> Hands down the greatest mid-level exception contract of all time. Uh yeah, that's yeah. true.
1: You know what? I I've said that about uh PJ Tucker, but I forgot about him. That's obviously much better.
2: Yeah. So, he goes to, you know, the the part people kind of forget, I think. He goes to Denver, they make it to the conference finals, really make the Lakers sweat in 09. Um, you know, that uh I'm trying to make sure I'm not Colliding my years here, but I believe that was the year the Lakers beat Orlando in the finals. Yes. That, that conference finals against Denver was much tougher than the, um, than, than the actual finals they played against Orlando. I, in the middle of that series, I forget what game I was at, but I had one of their guys come up to me one of their uh media guys come up to me and like oh yeah we're cooked like Denver's going to win this you know what i mean like <laughs> and which was unusual cuz the laker people all had this like incredible confidence um but that that series like they were they were worried and and it wasn't really till the second half of game i remember now the second half of game 5 that the lakers really Turned it, and then the Nuggets kept throwing away inbound passes at the end of games.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Trevor Ariza had like three pick sixes <laughs> it, t- in yeah. the last two minutes. Yeah, of the, the p- of p- p-
2: pick sixes on inbound passes. It was like a a constant thing. Uh And there was there was a lot of Anthony Carter going on too, if I remember right. But but I digress. Getting back to Chauncey, I mean, he was he was really good and really could. We talk about Stockton. If Chauncey doesn't tear his Achilles at thirty five. I mean, he had the type of game where he could have just gone on and on and on.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I mean, also underrated because he shot a lot of free throws and he shot a lot of threes. And that was back in the time when people just looked at your regular field goal percentage.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Big time, true shooting percentage guy. As a point guard, had a true shooting percentage of 60.9 in 05, 60.2 in 06, 61.9 in 08. And these are
1: like, this isn't like, now where, you know, there's a lot of guys who who are high usage who have that type of true shooting. I mean, this is that's like very rare. It's like
2: inconceivable for a guard yeah. that he would to be high high threes and high free throws.
1: Okay, I've I've got one more here. This is kind of cheating a little bit, but uh-huh. basically anyone who is on the nineteen eighties Bucks.
2: <laughs> you see, I thought about Sidney Moncrief, and the only reason I didn't go there was because his career was so short, but I always felt, I always felt like he never got his due, that that was such a good team. And he, uh, you know, obviously he was perceived as the best defensive player in the league at the time or, or right there with Bobby Jones. And, uh, but they, they never got, even though they were, they were a 50 win team every year, but they just never, they were never on TV. It was, it was Lakers, Celtics, Sixers, right? And you just, you just never really saw them. So you just saw pictures yeah. of those, of those uniforms.
1: Well, and then this old, Surprise people as well what are some of the other ways of being underrated well de- defense obviously especially back in the 80s Don Nelson is their coach crazy as it is to think about Don Nelson today you know he, people remember him from his two tenures in Golden State for example he flamed out in less than a year with the Knicks they're like a top two defense every year under Don yes. Nelson in the 80s yes and and Moncrief w- was a huge part of that uh, as well um terry cummings was their big scorer uh, on offense it wasn't that efficient but he could create a lot of shots and their offenses were totally respectable you know they had top 10 offenses top five and some years i mean the, the year that they they get swept by this the 86 celtics who are an unbelievable team in the conference finals but they were actually like had the point differential of a 62 win team that year and they just got housed i mean they they there just was never that one year That they could get past either Philly or Boston. That was a problem.
2: They had to get, they had to get past both of them in the same year. Um, and that, that didn't happen. Uh, we mentioned Moncrief. The other guy we should mention the same breath is Marcus Johnson. Um, who, uh, had a bad injury at age 30, but had made five all-star teams, uh, with Milwaukee and then later the Clippers, uh, and still does TV for the Bucks, I
1: think. Yeah. No, he does. Yeah. Old school 888. I think is his, uh, his Twitter handle um yeah he does, he does a nice job for them but he uh yeah and Paul Pressey the original point forward was on those teams too also a really good defensive player yeah that's a
2: wow that's a good one Bob Lanier
1: yeah they, he was kind of nearing the end in he those. was
2: definitely close to the end then you know he um played against Artis Gilmore in the final four <laughs> for St. Bonaventure their only final four appearance Bob, Bob Lanier actually had an underrated career too though
1: yeah, that's one uh, I wasn't uh quite quite as familiar with him. Um okay, give me uh one more here.
2: All right. You know, I got a couple guys I thought about. I thought about Bobby Jones, but I feel like he actually kinda got credit for what he was mostly yeah. playing in Philadelphia. You know? Yeah, I was probably so, too harsh
1: on him actually when I was saying that like Andre Guidal was definitely better than Bobby Jones. That probably was not actually Yeah, better.
2: you go back yeah. and look, like he was actually yeah. good. Um you know, I I thought about Nate Thurmond. Um but it's it's hard because I don't I don't have a lot to go on. I never really saw him play. Um, I thought about Fat Lever and Sam Cassell, but I, you know they weren't they weren't quite upper echelon guys, I guess. Yeah. Um, but so the one guy I kind of ended up with that I still think gets a little lost again. Another uh, seventy nine Sonic here, but Jack Sigma.
1: You've just been spending too much time with Pelton, I have you? It's
2: clearly clearly he's brainwashing me from afar.
1: Yeah, he I, I mean I, I remember him from late in his career when he was just pretty stiff and
2: by the time he got to the Bucks, yeah, he just wasn't the same guy at all.
1: Yeah. But I mean stretch big, renowned for some of his up and under post up moves.
2: Yep, yep. And a step back and the perm. <laughs>
1: That's amazing to me. There really were men used to get perms. That's I
2: it was a frightening time. <laughs>
1: Um, anything else seven- you can share on him? Any like big stats about him uh, that, that show up?
2: Uh, one of the best free throw shooting big men of all time Interesting. shot 92 one year to lead the league 85 for his career or 84.9, um, made seven straight all-star teams. Um, never made an all NBA team. That would probably be the biggest knock. Like his, his, his peak peak was never super high, but was probably the second best player on that championship team. Uh, a lot of, you know, he was a big guy in that era. He didn't have to move as much, but he was a good rebounder, had had defensive value, even though he wasn't a huge shot blocker. Uh, had some pretty good assist rates for a big guy, too.
1: Yeah, it's so weird when you go back and look at these guys' stat lines like, oh, first year in the league, 23 years old. It's like, where's the... And he, like, this guy played 13 years, and but he was retired at age 35. Like, now it's that's like yeah. a 16-year career. Yeah. Um, he- yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember him for his like getting dunked on by Jordan on the bucks. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. But I mean, so 70 from age 23 to 29, he made the all-star team every year playing for the Sonics.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, the West center position was maybe like, it was, you know, it was him, Kareem and like Alvin Adams, I guess. So wasn't super
1: awesome, but still yeah. Moses like, was in there a couple of those years. But, oh, you're, you
2: are correct. I'm sorry. I, I, forgotten important name
1: but that's that's back when you could have yeah you can kind of see the footprints of his game he had pretty low offensive rebounding for a center but you could see that he was you know staying away from the uh the basket a little bit more or he would be the guy posting up uh, rather than like off the ball fighting for rebounding position yeah he's
2: he's a guy you wonder about in the modern game a little bit
1: all right last one here for me Mm -hmm. reggie miller um really yeah and and do you think of him as like a top 50 player all time? You know, probably not. And he might, he might
2: have a case. Um, I don't know. Like people made a big deal about him at the time, but uh, especially the years when Indiana was good, you know, when they were playing the series against New York and everything and uh, I'm sorry, multiple series against them and against the Bulls and played in the finals against the Lakers. So he definitely got a lot of attention, um, which is why I didn't really go there. But you could argue like he only made five all-star teams and probably should have been on it most or all of those years, right?
1: Yeah. I think that that's where it really comes in for me. You know, if there, if the NBA is doing like, I don't think anybody really thought of him as a top 10 player back in his day. And
2: well, he wasn't a big also. I mean, I just like people, people didn't think through like how the, how the impact of his shooting could, could, uh, impact the rest of the court
1: well and if you look at number one what he did in the playoffs where he again he's one of the few guys to get better in the playoffs and they've got like very good offenses pretty much every year you know if you look back at their relative offensive rating they're you know three points better than league average with i mean who else is on those teams again i mean like Detlef Schrempf, chuck person is on a couple of those teams then when you get then they've got you know the davis brothers rick smiths and smiths a, a revolving door at point guard um there he really is just a fantastic offensive player and gets better in the playoffs where it, what he was doing is really difficult to deal with i mean he's kind of he's running off a screens. he manages to get to the foul line he's got these leaners the ability to combine a high free throw rate with his outside shooting and yeah pulling teams and
2: he shot 90 from the line too oh, yeah. so
1: yeah i mean that guy at rooting against him in those years i mean you just when he went to the line you're just like, Count that as two more, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: The, the thing he never totally had was just shot creation. Yeah. And, and that, um that, that probably kept him out of the, out of the upper echelon and probably affected his perception because so much of his game was, was without the ball. So you'd just, just go stretches without seeing him touching the ball or dribbling uh, and, and doing stuff. But actually like as a pretty, is still a decently high volume player was able to lead the league in true shooting percentage twice. As a guard in the '90s, yeah, and was over 60 every year.
1: I mean, he's really the first player in NBA history where he could get two guys running at him at the three-point line off the ball. And, and that, you know what else he
2: yeah. was? He was the first guy to pull up from three on the break. Yeah, or or to spot up on a two-on-one to flare out to the three-point line.
1: That's a great point. Yeah, but I'm sure Larry Braun must have just loved that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, fortunately, that was already uh, I think that was already ingrained by the time Larry got there, so he couldn't couldn't do much about it.
1: Yeah, but the, I mean when you just look at the offensive performance of those teams, what he did in the playoffs and just who else is on those teams. I mean they're making they make uh five conference finals from 1994 to 2000. Yeah. And they only made it to the finals once, but I mean again, who is on these teams? Like gr- granted the East is like so unbelievable there and you know they only had a couple of regular season teams that were like really, you know, 55 wins or better, but they're punching above their weight in the playoffs every year. And, and when they did lose, they lost in like seven games.
2: Yeah. Knocked out Shaq in the first round uh that that year that they got to the East Finals, lost game seven, had the thing with Spike Lee and all that. And that was considered an upset at the time. The, everyone thought Orlando was going to win that series. I think it was the 4-5.
1: Yeah, that would have been like Penny Hardaway's, I want to say his rookie yeah. and year. And then
2: they knocked out a 57-win Hawks team in the second round.
1: Yeah, those that, are that
2: was that was an impressive run.
1: Those Hawks teams were some paper tigers. <laughs> those, like, they <laughs> I think that's the year that they traded Dominique Wilkins. That for was Danny the year Manning. they traded Dominique for Danny Manning. Yeah, yeah. and they got the yeah, one. They team. had
2: a good. They had Mookie Blaylock, Stacy Ogman, Mutombo. Yeah, I mean, like it was a it was a good team, but it was like it was such a regular season team, you know? Yeah. So.
1: Um. Okay. Well. Give me uh, your top three most underrated players of all time.
2: Wow. Wow.
1: I'll start with my number one. And that's, uh, I
2: I think, I think you might've won me over on a couple of these.
1: Good, good. But, uh, I'm too stubborn, so I can't say the same. No. Uh, okay. (laughs) Um, KG is probably my number one.
2: Yeah. I, I think I might have to go with you there. I just don't think, I still don't think the perception of him is caught up with how good he is. Um, so I'm going to agree with you on that one. Uh, it's, it's tough again because we're, we're comparing to, you know, this hazy thing of what, of how they're perceived, but I just don't think, I, I just don't think enough people realized how good he was in that like 2000 to 2005 range in Minnesota before he ever got to Boston and, and, uh, just what a high level he played at for some teams that unfortunately weren't, weren't that great with one exception.
1: Oh, here. Sorry. I, I got to hijack this. I, I know we're running long, but uh i really i I missed him on my list he was hidden there i think we should talk about steve nash as as a possibility but this this discussion of the point guards probably is Mm -hmm. incomplete without him i i actually would probably put him above stockton i would say uh as well i probably would have chris paul higher than him but man yeah like i would i I would put chris
2: paul higher but it's tough but i mean defense once you add in defense i think you have to put chris paul ahead of him
1: i i agree That's
2: Stockton, Stockton versus Nash is more
1: quantity versus quality.
2: And I think kind of at the high end, you tilt toward quality and, and say, I'll take Nash's best years.
1: It's funny because I always thought that Nash's MVPs were dubious in 05 and 06. And I
2: definitely, I definitely did at the time. And I'm still a little shaky on the second one, but
1: that, I mean, he completely changed the game and I mean, he was on the number one offense in the NBA For like 10 straight years.
2: Yeah, yeah. Now, Dirk had something to do with that, too. And so did
1: did Stoudemire and Marion and shooting and and the coaches and all that. But, I mean, that's he is the through line there. And, yeah, he didn't have as much responsibility in Dallas. I'd probably give Dirk more responsibility for what they did in Dallas than him. But in Phoenix, Mm -hmm. I would give him more credit than, say, Amari Stoudemire because they the next year, Stoudemire goes out for the whole year and they're still really, really good offensively.
2: Yeah, yeah absolutely.
1: So yeah, I think I would probably, but yeah, I'd have CP probably ahead of Nash, but yeah, I mean, that's one that's interesting. I mean, he's going to clearly be a hall of famer. Did he make it already a camera? I think he, I think he might still have one more year to go, but, um, yeah. And he won two MVPs at the time, but I think most people, even though he's winning MVPs, wouldn't have considered him to be like a top five player at any point in his career.
2: I think you're right about that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And if you look at the team effect offensively, I think he, he's got a pretty good argument for that.
2: You know what's crazy about Nash is that he probably left money on the table, too. Like, if he had shot the ball more,
1: as good a shooter
2: as he he, was, I think it would have been even more valuable.
1: He's personally said that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I completely agree with that.
1: Now, I'm not sure that he had the level of, like, versatility to his jumper. Like, he kind of had to load up a little bit. He didn't have the quickest release in the world the way, like, someone like Steph does.
2: Yeah, he need- he needed to get the guy moving. He-, he needed to do a right-hand dribble and get the guy moving, and then he could, like, hop into it. Yeah, he yeah. kind
1: of had to, like, really bend his knees. Like, he- he's a-, mm-hmm. a pretty exaggerated follow-through i beautiful, pure looking form, but it was, it wasn't like it was just popping out of his hand in like two seconds.
2: Yeah. I agree with that.
1: Um, he, yeah, I, I like, he would have to take a couple of steps to get into it. Your, you're right. And like kind of load up. Um, but yeah, he, he was, uh, he was a really, really good player. Um, and I, I think historic, uh, certainly to me, you know, has a pretty good argument for being in the top 40. And I don't think anybody would say that. Um, and mm-hmm. I know my buddy, Ben Taylor has him way higher. He has him at 19. I can't quite go that high, yeah. but that's,
2: yeah, yeah, but as a top 40 player, yeah, I think, I think he definitely is.
1: Uh, okay. So um, who is, so I, I interrupted here. Who's your, uh, your yeah, number two?
2: Uh, Artist Gilmore. That's I just think really he gets completely over, completely overlooked in every NBA history or anything. And I think he has, he has an argument as a top 50 player. And I don't think anyone even thinks of him as on that level.
1: Yeah. Between the ABA and then. You know, like he didn't really, it wasn't a huge mm-hmm. score. He did a bunch of other stuff instead, uh, making, making things happen on defense. I mean, he, he fits the, the criteria that we laid out for being underrated. He fits all of those. Like he yeah. would be in my top three as well. He was a, a really, really good player for a, a long time.
2: Jacksonville, Nate, <laughs> the freaking Dolphins of Jacksonville.
1: Um, yeah, I, I could go with him as number two. That's, uh, that's reasonable. Yeah. I mean, some of my guys were just flashes in the pan. And mm-hmm. so, I like, I more felt like a, a, a responsibility to bring up how good they were. But if they only were really good for three seasons or five seasons, like Arenas or KJ, I, I can't really nominate them for this. Uh, I mean, I think Mark Eaton should be up there. Two two defensive players of the year. And, like, I don't think anybody today even begins to think about him.
2: Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. He doesn't. Nobody taught. He didn't. The, the one thing I'll say is, like, the game that, like. I don't, can he play in today's game? No, of course not.
1: But I, as far as what he was yeah. doing at that time.
2: Yeah, that's what makes it a little harder for me with him. Um, you know, I'm a Ginobili stan, but you, I, I felt like you weren't coming with me for that journey. <laughs> well,
1: hey, you, it's your own list, man. Do whatever you want.
2: <laughs> well, I'm putting Manu on my list. How about that?
1: Yeah, I just can't go there because of the minutes, I, I think, ultimately. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think that Spurs team has gotten pl- plenty of exposure and he was the fact that he was part of this trilogy with Parker and Duncan. Um, yeah, I, I think it, is reasonable. Who, who would my third guy be? You'd probably go with the Keem. Keem would probably be. Yeah, I be think a that's
2: team. a defensible pick. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Again, just because his. His years in the late eighties and early nineties were just totally lost. I mean, they just, their drafting was completely terrible. They had guys get suspended for two years due to drugs. Ralph Sampson blew out his knees, mm-hmm. although he was probably even overrated when he was healthy. Yeah. Like he, Sampson, because he hit that big shot and he was like the target of, uh, Celtics fans ire in the finals, like, I think a lot of people kind of think of that team as being like Samson's team that made it to the finals in '86. When really Akeem was. Oh, by, that was Akeem's team. Yeah,
2: Yeah, people best forget player. the early in Game Six, he had three straight steals for dunks. Like it was like, <laughs> oh my god, what is what is going on here? What is this guy doing?
1: Yeah, Akeem, by the way, like he had like years where he's averaging two steals a game.
2: Yeah, yeah. In addition
1: yeah. to like the great block numbers and the overall defense, yeah. So Akeem would probably be my number three. So KG one, Gilmore two, Akeem three, and your your number three mm-hmm. is uh, Ginobili. Yeah, I mean it's crazy to think about some of these guys, Hall of Famers, being underrated. But yeah, um,
2: you know you know what I'm noticing here. There's a lot more underrated bigs than than guards. Like guards, I think people just naturally gravitate to, and it's and it's harder for bigs. Well, uh,
1: there, we've got a whole podcast on the most overrated players. Yes. coming coming next week. Yes,
2: very excited sharpening my claws as we speak
1: (laughs) what did you uh what did you write about for the athletic this week
2: oh so got a couple interesting things coming for the athletic i got my uh i got my under the radar free agents for this summer uh and then uh we're doing a little something on uh what ifs so i got a really interesting what if from my time in memphis and i don't want to do a spoiler yet
1: okay uh and uh for me please uh give uh our covid daily news a a listen if you are feel like you're have too much coronavirus news cut back on that listen to our pod hopefully a lot of people have said that it actually helps them avoid stressing out so much to, to listen to it and you just listen to that and then you you go about your day so that, that's kind of the thought uh, behind it and uh you can subscribe at the athletic theathleticcom slash per to get john's work and uh, we'll talk to you all next week with the most overrated players of all time until then